This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma Blythe. Mall Flanders by Daniel Defoe. Section 23. Here was a perplexity that I had not indeed skill to manage myself in. Neither knew I what course to take. It lay heavy upon my mind, night and day. I could neither sleep nor converse, so that my husband perceived it and wondered what ailed me, strove to divert me, but it was all to no purpose. He pressed me to tell him what it was troubled me, but I put it off till at last, importuning me continually, I was forced to form a story which yet had a plain truth to lay it upon to. I told him I was troubled, because I found we must shift our quarters and alter our scheme of settling, for that I found I should be known if I stayed in that part of the country. For that my mother being dead, several of my relations were come into that part where we then was, and that I must either discover myself to them, which in our present circumstances was not proper on many accounts, or remove, and which to do I knew not, and that this it was that made me so melancholy and so thoughtful. He joined with me in this, that it was by no means proper for me to make myself known to anybody in the circumstances in which we then were, and therefore he told me he would be willing to remove to any other part of the country, or even to another country, if I thought fit. But now I had another difficulty, which was, that if I removed to any other colony, I put myself out of the way of ever making a due search after those effects which my mother had left. Again, I could never so much as think of breaking the secret of my former marriage to my new husband. It was not a story, as I thought, that would bear telling, nor could I tell what might be the consequences of it, and it was impossible to search into the bottom of the thing without making it public all over the country, as well who I was as what I now was also. In this perplexity I continued a great while, and this made my spouse very uneasy, for he found me perplexed and yet thought I was not open with him, and did not let him into every part of my grievance. And he would often say, he wondered what he had done, that I would not trust him with whatever it was, especially if it was grievous and afflicting. The truth is, he ought to have trusted with everything, for no man in the world could deserve better of a wife. But this was a thing I knew not how to open to him. And yet, having nobody to disclose any part of it to, the burden was too heavy for my mind. For let them say what they please of our sex, not being able to keep a secret. My life is a plain conviction to me of the contrary. But be it our sex or the man's sex, a secret of moment should always have a confidant, a bosom friend to whom we may communicate the joy of it, or the grief of it, be it which it will, or it will be a double weight upon the spirits, and perhaps become even insupportable in itself. And this I appeal to all human testimony for the truth of. 
and this is the cause why many times men as well as women and men of the greatest and best qualities otherwise yet have found themselves weak in this part and have not been able to bear the weight of a secret joy or of a secret sorrow but have been obliged to disclose it even for the mere giving vent to themselves and to unbend the mind oppressed with the load of weights which attended it nor was this any token of folly or thoughtlessness at all but a natural consequence of the thing and such people had they struggled longer with the oppression would certainly have told it in their sleep and disclosed the secret let it have been of what fatal nature soever without regard to the person to whom it might be exposed this necessity of nature is a thing which works sometimes with such vehemence in the minds of those who are guilty of any atrocious villainy such as secret murder in particular that they had been obliged to discover it though the consequences would necessarily be their own destruction now though it may be true that the divine justice ought to have the glory of all those discoveries and confessions yet tis as certain that providence which ordinarily works by the hands of nature makes use here of the same natural causes to produce those extraordinary effects i could give several remarkable instances of this in my long conversation with crime and with criminals i knew one fellow that while i was in prison in newgate was one of those they called then night flyers i know not what other word they may have understood it by since but he was one who by connivance was admitted to go abroad every evening when he played his pranks and furnished those honest people they call thief-catchers with business to find out the next day and restore for a reward what they had stolen the evening before this fellow was as sure to tell in his sleep all that he had done and every step he had taken what he had stolen and where as sure as if he had engaged to tell it waking and that there was no harm or danger in it and therefore he was obliged after he had been out to lock himself up or be locked up by some of the keepers that had him in fee that nobody should hear him but on the other hand if he had told all the particulars and given a full account of his rambles and success to any comrade any brother thief or to his employers as i may justly call them then all was well with him and he slept as quietly as other people as the publishing this account of my life is for the sake of the just moral of very part of it and for instruction caution warning and improvement to every reader so this will not pass i hope for an unnecessary digression concerning some people being obliged to disclose the greatest secrets either of their own or other people's affairs under the certain oppression of this weight upon my mind i labored in the case i had been naming and the only relief i found for it was to let my husband into so much of it as i thought would convince him of the necessity there was for us to think of settling in some other part of the world and the next consideration before us was which part of the english settlements we should go to my husband was a perfect stranger to the country 
and had not yet so much as a geographical knowledge of the situation of the several places, and I, that, till I wrote this, did not know what the word geographical signified, had only a general knowledge from long conversation with people that came from, or went to, several places. But this I knew, that Maryland, Pennsylvania, East and West Jersey, New York, and New England, lay all north of Virginia, and that they were consequently all colder climates, to which, for that very reason, I had an aversion, for that as I naturally loved warm weather, so now I grew into years I had a stronger inclination to shun a cold climate. I therefore considered of going to Carolina, which is the only southern colony of the English on the continent of America and hither I proposed to go, and the rather because I might with great ease come from thence at any time, when it might be proper to inquire after my mother's effects, and to make myself known enough to demand them. With this resolution I proposed to my husband our going away from where we was, and carrying all our effects with us to Carolina, where we resolved to settle for my husband readily agreed to the first part, that was not at all proper to stay where we was, since I had assured him we should be known there, and the rest I effectually concealed from him. But now I found a new difficulty upon me. The main affair grew heavy upon my mind still, and I could not think of going out of the country without somehow or other making inquiry into the grand affair of what my mother had done for me nor could I with any patience bear the thought of going away and not make myself known to my old husband, brother, or to my child, his son. Only I would fain have had this done without my new husband having any knowledge of it, or they having any knowledge of him, or that I had such a thing as a husband. I cast about innumerable ways in my thoughts how this might be done. I would gladly have sent my husband away to Carolina with all our goods, and have come after myself. But this was impracticable. He would never stir without me, being himself perfectly unacquainted with the country, and with the methods of settling there, or anywhere else. Then I thought we would both go first with part of our goods, and then when we were settled I should come back to Virginia and fetch the remainder. But even then I knew he would never part with me, and be left there to go alone. The case was plain. He was bred a gentleman, and by consequence was not only unacquainted, but indolent, and when we did settle, would much rather go out into the woods with his gun, which they call their hunting, and which is the ordinary work of the Indians, and which they do as servants. I say he would rather do that than attend the natural business of his plantation. These were therefore difficulties insurmountable, and such as I knew not what to do in. I had such strong impressions on my mind about discovering myself to my brother, formerly my husband, that I could not withstand them, and the rather because it ran constantly in my thoughts, that if I did not do it while he lived, I might in vain endeavour to convince my son afterward that I was really the same person, and that I was his mother, and so might both lose the assistance 
and comfort of the relation, and the benefit of whatever it was my mother had left me. And yet, on the other hand, I could never think it proper to discover myself to them in the circumstances I was in, as well relating to the having a husband with me as to my being brought over by a legal transportation as a criminal on both which accounts it was absolutely necessary to me to remove from the place where i was and come again to him as from another place and in another figure upon these considerations i went on with telling my husband the absolute necessity there was of our not settling in potomac river at least that we should be presently made public there whereas if we went to any other place in the world we should come in with as much reputation as any family that came to plant that as it was always agreeable to the inhabitants to have families come among them to plant who brought substance with them either through purchase plantations or begin new ones so we should be sure of a kind agreeable reception and that without any possibility of a discovery of our circumstances. I told him in general, too, that as I had several relations in the place where we were, and that I durst not let myself be known to them, because they would soon come into a knowledge of the occasion and reason of my coming over, which would be to expose myself to the last degree. So I had reason to believe that my mother, who died here, had left me something, and perhaps considerable, which it might be very well worth my while to inquire after, and that this, too, could not be done without exposing us publicly, unless we went from hence. And then, wherever we settled, I might come, as it were, to visit and to see my brother and nephews, make myself known to them, claim and inquire after what was my due, be received with respect and at the same time have justice done me with cheerfulness and good will whereas if i did it now i could expect nothing but with trouble such as exacting it by force receiving it with curses and reluctance and with all kinds of affronts which he would not perhaps bear to see that in case of being obliged to legal proofs of being really her daughter I might be at loss, be obliged to have recourse to England, and it may be to fail at last and so lose it, whatever it might be. With these arguments, and having thus acquainted my husband with the whole secret so far as was needful of him, we resolved to go and seek a settlement in some other colony, and at first thoughts Carolina was the place we pitched upon. In order to do this, we began to make inquiry for vessels going to Carolina, and in a very little while got information that on the other side of the bay, as they call it, namely in Maryland, there was a ship which came from Carolina, laden with rice and other goods, and was going back again thither, and from thence to Jamaica with provisions. On this news we hired a sloop to take in our goods, in taking, as it were, a final farewell of Potomac River. We went with all our cargo over to Maryland. 
this was a long and unpleasant voyage and my spouse said it was worse to him than all the voyage from england because the weather was but indifferent the water rough and the vessel small and inconvenient in the next place we were full a hundred miles up potomac river in a part which they call westmoreland county and as that river is by far the greatest in virginia and i have heard say it is the greatest river in the world that falls into another river and not directly into the sea so we had base weather in it and were frequently in great danger for though we were in the middle we could not see land on either side for many leagues together then we had the great river or bay of chesapeake to cross which is where the river potomac falls into it near thirty miles broad and we entered more great vast waters whose names i know not so that our voyage was full two hundred miles in a poor sorry sloop with all our treasure and if any accident had happened to us we might at last have been very miserable supposing we had lost our goods and saved our lives only and had then been left naked and destitute and in a wild strange place not having one friend or acquaintance in all that part of the world the very thought of it gives me some horror even since the danger is past well we came to the place in five days sailing i think they called it phillips point and behold when we came thither the ship bound to carolina was loaded and gone away but three days before this was a disappointment but however i that was to be discouraged with nothing told my husband that since we could not get passage to carolina and that the country we was in was very fertile and good we would if he liked of it see if we could find out anything for our tune where we was and that if he liked things we would settle here we immediately went on shore but found no conveniences just at that place either for our being on shore or preserving our goods on shore but was directed by a very honest quaker whom we found there to go to a place about sixty miles east that is to say nearer the mouth of the bay where he said he lived and where we should be accommodated either to plant or to wait for any other place to plant and that might be more convenient and he invited us with so much kindness and simple honesty that we agreed to go and the quaker himself went with us here we bought us two servants an english woman servant just come on shore from a ship of liverpool and a negro man-servant things absolutely necessary for all people that pretended to settle in that country this honest quaker was very helpful to us and when we came to the place that he proposed to us found us out a convenient storehouse for our goods and lodging for ourselves and our servants and about two months or thereabouts afterwards by his direction we took up a large piece of land from the governor of that country in order to form our plantation and so we laid the thoughts of going to carolina wholly aside having been very well received here and accommodated with a convenient lodging till we could prepare things and have land enough cleared and timber and materials provided for building us a house 
all which we managed by the direction of the Quaker, so that in one year's time we had nearly fifty acres of land clear, part of it enclosed, and some of it planted with tobacco, though not much. Besides, we had garden ground and corn sufficient to help supply our servants with roots and herbs and bread, and now I persuaded my husband to let me go over the bay again and inquire after my friends. He was willing to consent to it now, because he had business upon his hands sufficient to employ him, besides his gun to divert him, which they call hunting there, and which he greatly delighted in, and indeed we used to look at one another, sometimes with a great deal of pleasure, reflecting how much better that was, not the Newgate only, but than the most prosperous of our circumstances in the wicked trade that we had been both carrying on. Our affair was in a very good posture. We purchased of the proprietors of the colony as much land for thirty-five pounds, paid in ready money, as would make a sufficient plantation to employ between fifty and sixty servants, and which, being well improved, would be sufficient to us as long as we could either of us live. And as for children, I was past the prospect of anything of that kind. But our good fortune did not end here. I went, as I have said, over the bay, to the place where my brother, once my husband, lived. But I did not go to the same village where I was before, but went up another great river, on the east side of the river Potomac, called Rappahannock River, and by this means came on the back of his plantation, which was large, and by the help of a navigable creek, or little river, that ran into the Rappahannock, I came very near it. I was now fully resolved to go up point-blank to my brother, husband, and tell him who I was, but not knowing what temper I might find him in, or how much out of temper, rather, I might make him by such a rash visit. I resolved to write a letter to him first, to let him know who I was, and that I was come not to give him any trouble upon the old relation, which I hoped was entirely forgot, but that I applied to him as a sister to a brother, desiring his assistance in the case of that provision which our mother, at her decease, had left for my support, and which I did not doubt but he would do me justice in, especially considering that I was come thus far to look after it. I said some very tender, kind things in the letter about his son, which I told him he knew to be my own child, and that as I was guilty of nothing in marrying him any more than he was in marrying me, neither of us having then known our being at all related to one another, so I hoped he would allow me the most passionate desire of once seeing my one and only child, and of showing something of the infirmities of a mother in preserving a violent effect for him, who had never been able to retain any thought of me, one way or other. I did believe that, having received this letter, he would immediately give it to his son to read, I having understood his eyes being so dim that he could not see to read it, and it fell out better than so, for as his sight was dim, so he had allowed his son to open all letters that came to his hand for him. And the old gentleman, being from home, 
were out of the way when the messenger came. My letter came directly to my son's hand, and he opened and read it. He called the messenger in after some little stay, and asked him where the person who gave him the letter was. The messenger told him the place, which was about seven miles off, so he bid him stay, and ordering a horse to be got ready, and two servants. Away he came to me with the messenger. Let anyone judge the consternation I was in when my messenger came back, and told me the old gentleman was not at home, but his son was come along with him, and was just coming up to me. I was perfectly confounded, for I knew not whether it was peace or war, nor could I tell how to behave. However, I had but a very few moments to think, for my son was at the heels of the messenger, and coming up into my lodgings, asked the fellow at the door something. I suppose it was, for I did not hear it so as to understand it, which was the gentlewoman that sent him. For the messenger said, There she is, sir, at which he comes directly up to me, kisses me, took me in his arms, and embraced me with so much passion that he could not speak. But I could feel his breast heave and throb, like a child that cries, but sobs, and cannot cry out. I could neither express nor describe the joy that touched my very soul when I found, for it was easy to discover that part that he came not as a stranger, but as a son to a mother, and indeed as a son who had never before known what a mother of his own was. In short, we cried over one another a considerable while, when at last he broke out first. My dear mother, says he, are you still alive? I never expected to have seen your face. As for me, I could say nothing a great while. After we had both recovered ourselves a little and were able to talk, he told me how things stood. As to what I had written to his father, he told me he had not showed my letter to his father or told him anything about it, that what his grandmother left me was in his hands and that he would do me justice to my full satisfaction that as to his father he was old and infirm, both in body and mind, that he was very fretful and passionate, almost blind and capable of nothing, and he questioned whether he would know how to act in an affair which was of so nice a nature as this, and that therefore he had come himself, as well as to satisfy himself in seeing me, which he could not restrain himself from, as also it put into my power to make a judgment, after I had seen how things were, whether I would discover myself to his father or no. This was really so prudently and wisely managed that I found my son was a man of sense and needed no direction from me. I told him I did not wonder that his father was as he had described him, for that his head was a little touched before I went away and principally his disturbance was because I could not be persuaded to conceal our relation and to live with him as my husband. 
after I knew that he was my brother, that as he knew better than I what his father's present condition was, I should readily join with him in such measure as he would direct, that I was indifferent as to seeing his father, since I had seen him first, and he could not have told me better news than to tell me that what his grandmother had left me was entrusted in his hands, who, I doubted not, now he knew who I was, would, as he said, do me justice. I inquired then how long my mother had been dead and where she died, and told so many particulars of the family, that I left him no room to doubt the truth of my being really and truly his mother. My son then inquired where I was and how I had disposed myself. I told him I was on the Maryland side of the bay, at the plantation of a particular friend who came from England in the same ship with me, that as for that side of the bay where he was, I had no habitation. He told me I should go home with him and live with him, if I pleased, as long as I lived, that as to his father he knew nobody and would never so much as guess at me. I considered of that a little and told him, that though it was really no concern to me to live at a distance from him, yet I could not say it would be the most comfortable thing in the world to me to live in a house with him, and to have that unhappy object always before me, which had been such a blow to my peace before, that though I should be glad to have his company, my son, or to be as near him as possible while I stayed, yet I could not think of being in the house where I should be also under constant restraint for fear of betraying myself in my discourse, nor should I be able to refrain some expressions in my conversing with him as my son that might discover the whole affair which would by no means be convenient. He acknowledged that I was right in all this. But then, dear mother, says he, you shall be as near me as you can. So he took me with him on horseback to a plantation next to his own, and where I was as well entertained as I could have been in his own. Having left me there, he went away home, telling me we would talk of the main business the next day, and having first called me his aunt, and given a charge to the people who it seems were his tenants, to treat me with all possible respect. About two hours after he was gone, he sent me a maid-servant and a negro boy to wait on me, and provisions ready dressed for my supper. And thus I was as if I had been in a new world, and began secretly now to wish that I had not brought my Lancashire husband. However, that wish was not hearty neither for I loved my Lancashire husband entirely, as indeed I had ever done from the beginning. And he merited from me as much as it was possible for a man to do, but that by the way. The next morning my son came to visit me again, almost as soon as I was up. After a little discourse, he first of all pulled out a deerskin bag and gave it to me, with five-and-fifty Spanish pistols on it, and told me that it was to supply my expenses from England, for though it was not his business to inquire, 
yet he ought to think i did not bring a great deal of money out with me it is not being usual to bring much money into that country then he pulled out his grandmother's will and read it over to me whereby it appeared that she had left a small plantation as he called it on york river that is where my mother lived to me with the stock of servants and cattle upon it and given it in trust to this son of mine for my use whenever he should hear of my being alive and to my heirs if i had any children and in default of heirs to whomsoever i should by will dispose of it but gave the income of it till i should be heard of or found to my said son and if i should not be living then it was to him and his heirs this plantation though remote from him he said he did not let out but managed it by a head clerk stuart as he did another that was his father's that lay hard by it and went over himself three or four times a year to look after it i asked him what he thought the plantation might be worth he said if i would let it out he would give me about sixty pounds a year for it but if i would live on it then it would be worth much more and he believed would bring me in about a hundred and fifty pounds a year by seeing i was likely either to settle on the other side of the bay or might perhaps have a mind to go back to england again if i would let him be my steward he would manage it for me as he had done for himself and that he believed he should be able to send me as much tobacco to england from it as would yield me about a hundred pounds a year sometimes more this was all strange news to me, and things I had not been used to, and really my heart began to look up more seriously than I think it ever did before, and to look with great thankfulness to the hand of Providence, which had done such wonders for me, who had been myself, the greatest wonder of wickedness, perhaps, that had been suffered to live in the world. And I must again observe, that not on this occasion only, but even on all other occasions of thankfulness, my past wicked and abominable life never looked so monstrous to me, and I never so completely abhorred it and reproached myself with it, as when I had a sense upon me of providence doing good to me while I had been making those vile returns on my part but I leave the reader to improve these thoughts, as no doubt they will see cause, and I go on to the fact. My son's tender carriage and kind offers fetched tears from me, almost all the while he talked with me. Indeed, I could scarce discourse with him, but in the intervals of my passion. However, at length I began and expressing myself with wonder at my being so happy to have the trust of what I had left put into the hands of my own child, I told him that as to the inheritance of it, I had no child but him in the world, and was now past having any if I should marry, and therefore would desire him to get a writing drawn, which I was ready to execute, by which I would, after me, give it wholly to him and his heirs, and in the meantime, smiling, I asked him what made him continue a bachelor so long. His answer was kind and ready, 
that virginia did not yield any great plenty of wives and that since i talked of going back to england i should send him a wife from london this was the substance of our first day's conversation the pleasantest day that ever passed over my head in my life and which gave me the truest satisfaction he came every day after this and spent a great part of his time with me and carried me about to several of his friends houses where i was entertained with great respect also i dined several times at his own house when he took care always to see his half-dead father so out of the way that i never saw him or he me i made him one present and it was all i had of value and that was one of the gold watches of which i mentioned above that i had two in my chest and this i happened to have with me and i gave it him at his third visit i told him i had nothing of any value to bestow but that and i desired he would now and then kiss it for my sake i did not indeed tell him that i had stole it from a gentlewoman's side at a meeting-house in london that's by the way he stood a little while hesitating as if doubtful whether to take it or not but i pressed it on him and made him accept it and it was not much less worth than his leather pouch full of spanish gold no though it were to be reckoned as if at london whereas it was worth twice as much there where i gave it him at length he took it kissed it told me the watch should be a debt upon him that he would be paying as long as i lived a few days after he brought the writings of gift and the scrivener with them and i signed them very freely and delivered them to him with a hundred kisses for sure nothing ever passed between a mother and a tender dutiful child with more affection the next day he brings me an obligation under his hand and seal whereby he engaged himself to manage and improve the plantation for my account and with his utmost skill and to remit the produce to my order wherever i should be and withal to be obliged himself to make up the produce a hundred pounds a year to me when he had done so he told me that as i came to demand it before the crop was off i had a right to produce of the current year and so he paid me a hundred pounds in spanish pieces of eight and desired me to give him a receipt for it as in full for that year ending at christmas following this being about the latter end of august i stayed here about five weeks and indeed had much ado to get away then nay he would have come over the bay with me but i would by no means allow him to it however he would send me over in a sloop of his own which he built like a yacht and served him as well for pleasure as business this i accepted of and so after the utmost expressions both of duty and affection he let me come away and i arrived safe in two days at my friends the quakers i brought over with me for the use of our plantation three horses with harness and saddles some hogs two cows and a thousand other things the gift of the kindest and tenderest child that ever a woman had 
I related to my husband all the particulars of this voyage, except that I called my son my cousin, and first I told him that I had lost my watch, which he seemed to take as a misfortune, but then I told him how kind my cousin had been, that my mother had left me such a plantation, and that he had preserved it for me, in hopes some time or other he should hear from me. Then I told him that I had left it to his management, that he would render me a faithful account of its produce, and then I pulled him out the hundred pounds in silver as the first year's produce, and then pulling out the disc and purse with the pistols, and here, my dear, says I, is the gold watch, my husband. So is heaven's goodness sure to work the same effects in all sensible minds where mercies touch the heart lifted up both hands and with an ecstasy of joy what is god a-doing says he for such an ungrateful dog as i am then i let him know what i had brought over in the sloop besides all this i mean the horses hogs and cows and other stores for our plantation all which added to his surprise and filled his heart with thankfulness and from this time forward I believe he was as sincere a penitent and as thoroughly a reformed man as ever God's goodness brought back from a profligate, a highwayman, and a robber. I could fill a larger history than this with the evidence of this truth. And, but that I doubt that part of the story will not be equally diverting as the wicked part, I have had thoughts of making a volume of it by itself. As for myself, as this is to be my own story, not my husband's, I returned to that part which related to myself. We went on with our plantation and managed it with the help and diversion of such friends as we got there by our obliging behavior, and especially the honest Quaker, who proved a faithful, generous, and steady friend to us. And we had very good success, for having a flourishing stock to begin with, as I have said, and this being now increased by the addition of a hundred and fifty pounds sterling in money, we enlarged our number of servants, built us a very good house, and cured every year a great deal of land. The second year I wrote to my old governess, giving her part with us of the joy of our success, and order her how to lay out the money I had left with her, which was two hundred and fifty pounds as above, and to send it to us in goods, which she performed with her usual kindness and fidelity, and this arrived safe for us. Here we had a supply of all sorts of clothes, as well as my husband, as for myself, and I took a special care to buy for him all those things that I knew he delighted to have, as two good long wigs, two silver-hilted swords, three or four fine fowling pieces, a fine saddle with holsters and pistols very handsome, with a scarlet cloak, and, in a word, everything I could think of to oblige him and to make him appear as he really was a very fine gentleman. I ordered a good quantity of such household stuff as we yet wanted, with linen of all sorts for us both. As for myself, I wanted very little of clothes or linen, being very well furnished before. The rest of my cargo 
consisted of ironwork of all sorts, harness for horses, tools, clothes for servants, and woolen cloth, stuffs, serges, stockings, shoes, hats, and the like, such as servants wear, and whole pieces also to make up for servants, all by direction of the Quaker, and all this cargo arrived safe and in good condition, with three women servants, lusty wenches which my old governess had picked for me, suitable enough to the place and to the work we had for them to do, one of which happened to come double, having been got with child by one of the seamen in the ship, as she owned afterwards, before the ship got so far as Gravesend, so she brought us a stout boy about seven months after her landing. My husband, you may suppose, was a little surprised at the arriving of all this cargo from England, and talking with me after, he saw the account of this particular. My dear, says he, what is the meaning of all this? I fear you will run us too deep in debt. When shall we be able to make return for it all? I smiled, and told him that it was all paid for, and then I told him that what our circumstances might expose us to, I had not taken my whole stock with me, that I had reserved so much in my friend's hands, which now we were come over safe, and was settled in a way to live I had sent for, as he might see. He was amazed, and stood a while telling upon his fingers, but said nothing. At last he began thus. Hold, let's see, says he, telling upon his fingers still, and first on his thumb, there's two hundred and forty-six pounds in money at first, then two gold watches, diamond rings, and plate, says he, upon the forefinger, then upon the next finger. Here's a plantation on York River, a hundred pounds a year, then a hundred and fifty pounds in money, then a sloop-load of horses, cows, hogs, and stores, and so on to the thumb again. And now, says he, a cargo cost two hundred fifty pounds in England, and worth here twice the money. Well, says I, what do you make of all that? Make of it, says he. Why, who says I was deceived when I married a wife in Lancashire? I think I have married a fortune, and a very good fortune, too, says he. In a word, we were now in very considerable circumstances, and every year increasing, for our new plantation grew upon our hands insensibly, and in eight years, which we lived upon it, we brought it to such a pitch that the produce was at least three hundred pounds sterling a year, I mean worth so much in England. After I had been a year at home again, I went over the bay to see my son, and to receive another year's income on my plantation. And I was surprised to hear, just at my landing there, that my old husband was dead, and had not been buried above a fortnight. This, I confess, was not disagreeable news, because now I could appear as I was, in a married condition. So I told my son, before I came from him, that I believed I should marry a gentleman who had a plantation near mine, and though I was legally free to marry, as to any obligation that was on me before, yet that I was shy of it, lest the blot should some time or other be revived, and it might make my husband uneasy. My son, the same kind, dutiful, and obliging creature as ever, treated me now at his own house, paid me my hundred pounds, and sent me home again, loaded with presents. Some time after this, I let my son know I was married, and invited him over to see us, 
and my husband wrote a very obliging letter to him also, inviting him to come and see him, and he came accordingly some months after, and happened to be there just when my cargo from England came in, which I let him believe belonged all to my husband's estate, not to me. It must be observed that when the old wretch, my brother, husband, was dead, I then freely gave my husband an account of all that affair, and of this cousin, as I had called him before, being my own son by that mistaken unhappy match. He was perfectly easy in the account, and told me he should have been as easy if the old man, as we called him, had been alive. For, said he, it was no fault of yours, nor of his. It was a mistake impossible to be prevented. He only reproached him with desiring me to conceal it, and to live with him as a wife, after I knew that he was my brother. That, he said, was a vile part. Thus all these difficulties were made easy, and we lived together with the greatest kindness and comfort imaginable. We are grown old. I am come back to England, being almost seventy years of age, husband sixty-eight, having performed much more than the limited terms of my transportation. And now, notwithstanding all the fatigues and all the miseries we have both gone through, we are both of us in good heart and health. My husband remained there some time after me to settle our affairs, and at first I had intended to go back to him, but at his desire I altered that resolution, and he has come over to England also, where we resolve to spend the remainder of our years in sincere penitence for the wicked lives we have lived, written in the year 1683. End of Mall Flanders by Daniel Defoe all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain.